Thanks for checking out the Elevate Student Ministry Podcast. To find out more about us, visit our website at iloveelevate.com. You can also stay up to date with what's going on by finding us on social media platforms like Instagram, Facebook, and Snapchat. Please consider subscribing to the podcast and sharing it with your friends. We hope you enjoy this message and it brings you closer to Jesus. This is the message for you. And there will be a shift, I hope you'll catch it, between prayers that are saying, God, I want this, into prayers that say, Dad, I want your will. That's a heart change. It's a soul change. It's a, it's a completely different perspective of saying, here's the direction that I want to go in. Lord, would you support me? And Lord, help me find your direction. And I'm all in. And our prayers really should follow this model, but I don't think we've been taught well on what prayer is. And so we're going to look at what Jesus says it is. He gives us a template. They say, Jesus, teach us how to pray. And he says this, when you pray, say, our Father in heaven. We're going to dissect this one step at a time. Father in heaven. The Old Testament records God, Yahweh, being called Father 14 times. Every one of those 14 times was in the context of being the father of the nation of Israel. And Jesus tells us to call him personal father. That's like a big deal for these guys. They've never heard Yahweh referred to as the father of anybody, but a father of a nation. And Jesus says, father. It's a completely, it's a paradigm shift for them. Romans 8, 14 through 17 says this, and it's talking about us and about how God selects us. And he says, for as many as are led by the spirit of God, these are the sons and daughters of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. Abba is the Hebrew word for a personal reference to Father. Think Daddy, Dad. He gives us the ability, the right, the privilege to call the creator of the universe, Dad. See, we've skimmed over this our whole lives. Father in heaven, okay, let's move on. Like, guys, this is powerful. We are calling on God as our dad. And Jesus says, this is how I want you to pray. Recognize who he is. He is Yahweh, and you can call him dad. The point that I want to point out here is that Jesus gives us the privilege to call him by a personal connecting term. And if you've been missing out on this, this will change your perspective. The next line is, hallowed be your name. That sounds cryptic. Hallowed. Let me just kind of like make this 21st century. May your name be made holy. His name, the name, we were just singing about it. The name of God, I am that I am. The name that he, he puts on his son, Yahweh saves, is what Jesus means. May your name be made holy. Exodus 34, God declares his name to Moses 
and he lists his attributes. I want to read these to you because this these come attached to who our God is. He says this, Now the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him, talking about Moses, and proclaimed the name of the Lord. So God declares his own name. And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed. He says, the Lord, the Lord. Y'all remember? I don't know why those aren't all caps. In my Bible, they are. He's saying the all caps, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. Sorry, I copy and pasted that wrong. He's saying, Yahweh, Yahweh God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving sin and transgression and sin. Sorry, iniquity, transgression and sin and by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third generation and the fourth. So Moses made haste and he bowed his head towards the earth and worshiped. That is earth shattering. He is a God that is quick to forgive. He is a God full of graciousness, but watch out if you're gonna sin against him. He is God who is sovereign and he is love. He is grace and he is just. These come wrapped up in his name. May your name be made holy. Do y'all remember the Ten Commandments? Y'all remember um, Exodus 27? Um, you know, um, worship the Lord your God. Don't have any idols. Y'all follow me? I don't remember them in order. One of them is do not take the Lord's name in vain, right? And your whole life, you've probably been like, uh, that means you're not supposed to like yell Jesus when you stub your toe. Right? Like, hey, I'm total supportive. I think that the name of God is sovereign and sacred enough that we shouldn't use it as a cuss word. If you want to yell someone's name when you stub your toe, yell your mother's name. Don't yell God's name. But I want to redefine this as not, don't take the Lord's name in vain. Let's, let's retranslate this a little bit as in, don't take as in don't carry. Do not carry God's name in vain. As in, if God is father, then we are sons and daughters. We carry his names. We are Christians. We have to be careful. When we're saying, hallowed be your name, and we're saying, God, let your name be made holy. We have to be careful how we represent the name of God wherever we go. Let us not carry your name in vain. That is one of the commandments. So when we're praying, Lord, let your name be made holy, it is worship. God, your name is holy, but it is also a reminder for us, empower us, God. Flow through us so that through us, people can see your sovereignty. They can see your love. They can see that you are of one mind and one purpose, not some sort of hypocritical twist that I've been putting on the name of Christian. May your name be made holy. And the point here, we are praying that God will empower us to give his name honor through our lives. Your kingdom come. The kingdom of God was the main topic of Jesus' sermons. If you haven't been thinking about the kingdom of God, then you haven't been reading much about Jesus lately. Because almost all of Jesus' parables begin with, and the kingdom of God is like this. Over and over and over again, you have to realize Jesus's mission was to found, to establish the kingdom of God through setting up a model of what Christianity looks like and bringing us back into correct alignment and forgiveness and relationship with God so that we can be in the kingdom. 
But it all comes down to we are in a kingdom. We are, our lives are not our own. We don't live for ourselves anymore. We're a part of a greater whole. We're a part of the kingdom. Whose kingdom? Dad's. Father Yahweh's kingdom. We are a part of that. In this kingdom, Yahweh is sovereign ruler and he does what he wants. And that's uncomfortable because when we pray, we want God to do what we want. And when we're saying, God, let your kingdom come, we're making a declaration. You are king. The, king, the word king comes from Arabic and Semitic roots and it means possessor, the one who possesses. Lord, possess, take me, I'm yours. Take this youth ministry, take our hearts. There's two kingdoms on this world. Ephesians 6, 12 makes this sort of clear. If it's not clear, I'll help you with it. Talking about Christ, he has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of his love. We, when God saves us, when we cry out to him, our allegiance changes from being an allegiance of Satan to an allegiance of Jesus. And I know that sounds crazy. You're like, I wasn't a Satan worshiper. You're a self-worshiper. And that's all Satan has to do. We are moving our allegiance from one to the other. We belong to our king and we serve his kingdom. Whose kingdom do you serve? Can the people around you tell what kingdom you serve? Because if it's sort of a gray area, you may want to check how you're carrying his name. Our next point is, we're declaring that he has all the authority and our deepest purpose is to seek him, reigning as king. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I have a two-year-old. This is the most self-centered person I have ever met. I mean, like, this morning, he was screaming at the top of his lungs from his bed because his pacifier fell on the floor. And all that mattered in his whole world was he did not have his little rubber thing. That's all that mattered. And mom and dad better come running because this is all that matters. That's him. He is absolutely egocentric. First of all, it's because he is completely dependent. He will starve to death. But that dependency on us for his needs rolls into his wants his whims, his emotions, every little thing. When we pray your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we have to realize that so many times our prayers are pretty infantile. They are so often about my whims, what I want, my will, my agenda. God, if you'll just, I've said that prayer. I am not exempt. I am kicking myself in the butt the whole way through this. But I want to go on a journey with you guys to pray in the way Jesus is teaching us. 
God. <laughs> He's not our genie. He's not. He's not Santa Claus. And you know what? Our prayers are not magic spells and they're not wishes. Our prayers have to shift. Our perspective of God has to change because we're not praying to the genie. We're not praying. Oh, okay, the definition of witchcraft is the manipulation of deities and spirits. And if we're going to try to manipulate God, manipulate God, and we're going to try to formulize how to get our way, we are in scary waters. Because prayer is not about asking for a bunch of stuff. It's not about my Christmas list. Prayer is surrender and saying, God, I can't. I don't know what I'm doing here. I don't have control over this. I surrender to you. Because you're the only one who can come through. That is our prayer. That is the way we pray. That is who our God is. Jesus models this. He is in the garden hours from being betrayed being tortured and being executed. And God pray and Jesus prays an earnest prayer. Father, if there's another way to do this, I'm open. But I want to look at that verse. It's Luke 22, 39 through 46, but I want to look specifically at just one of those verses. I want to check this out. Father, first of all, he models for us again. We can call God a personal name. Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, it is not my will, but yours to be done. He opens and closes with a correct perspective. God, your will. Here's my request, your will. And I'll tell you, Jesus does not have a good outcome here. Sometimes we have to surrender our will to accept that God is not going to do what we want. He's king. And we surrender to that. May your will be done is a prayer that replaces ours and it seeks his. So the next point is this. We are surrendering our will and recognizing that he is in control. He is king. He is sovereign. But then what? If, if our priority is his will, what about my life? Do I, am I supposed, supposed to just let it go to pot because... I'm not focused on taking care of, you know, me anymore. Give us day by day our daily bread. This is where faith comes in. This is where we grab hold of some very clear verses. I'll get to them in a minute. The word give in Greek, when it was written out, is a continuing verb. It's a continue to give. Keep on giving. Lord God, keep giving that daily bread. Keep being present, understanding my needs. Lord, I'm surrendering to you. Take care of me. It shows a total dependency and trust in the giver, who is our dad. You know what? There's a couple of parables right after this. One of them is the guy who's like, he gets his house all ready to go to bed, locks the doors, everything. He climbs in bed, he gets his wife and kids, and they're just like snoozing, and a neighbor comes over. Hey! I've, I've, I've had a surprise guest. I, I need something to eat. Would you mind lending me some food? And he yells out from his house, dude, I've, I've locked the gate. The doors are locked. I'm in bed with my family. I, no. And Jesus says, look, just because this guy, even just because they were friends, the guy wasn't wanting to get out of bed. But if that guy will stay outside and be persistent, 
he's going to eventually get annoyed enough. He's going to come give him what he asked for. And then the next parable is this. Because Jesus is still talking about prayer. He says, hey, what dad among you guys, if the kid came to him and said, dad, I'm hungry. Can I have some bread? Is he going to find like a rock to give him to eat? Like that's stupid. No dad genuinely would do that. Maybe to be funny. No, no kid's going to come and say, dad, I'm hungry. Would you give me a fish? And he turns around and hands him a scorpion. Like, there's no dad that would genuinely do that for the son that he loves. And then Jesus says this, how much more would your heavenly father do for you if you ask? If your earthly fathers who are flawed would give good gifts, how much more does God have good in store for you? So we're saying, God, give me the daily bread. Just give me what I need for today. Help me through. How much more is our God going to take care of us? Luke 12, 29 through 34, but I want to look at just a specific verse. He says this. He just went through this long list of saying, guys, don't worry about what you're going to wear. Don't worry about what you need to eat. And he ends with these sentences. And do not seek what you should eat or what you should drink or have an anxious mind. For all these things the nations of the world seek after. And your father knows that you need these things. But seek the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to you. That's a promise. That is Jesus saying, if you'll surrender your will, if you'll surrender your lives, dad's got you. It's hard to imagine. It's hard to surrender to. That's uncomfortable. We're in control. I want to be the captain of my ship. I want to be behind the steering wheel. My whole life, Disney movies have been telling me to take control and go. Follow my heart. But I'm supposed to surrender? Give us today our daily bread. Last point, or next point is this, we are putting our dependency completely on him. This is, I think, that hinge in the prayer where we say, God, I can't, it's yours, I trust you to take care of me. I can't, it's yours, I trust you. That is seeing Yahweh as your dad. Forgive us our sins. Our greatest human need is forgiveness from a holy God. Because whether you're hungry or not, whether you're thirsty or not, you have three minutes of air if you hold your breath. But none of those determine an eternal outcome of heaven or hell. Our greatest human need is to be restored back to a holy father. Romans 3.23 says that all have sinned. Every one of us have offended a perfect God. Every one of us have rebelled and stiff-armed God at some point. And at that point, we drew a line in the sand and said, I'm standing on this side. Whether you knew it or not, it was a stiff arm to the God that is reaching out with love. But God loved you way too much to leave you on the other side of the line. He made a path. He made a bridge. He used a cross so that you could have salvation and be restored our God is just. If we stiff arm God, then justice is unholiness cannot be with what is holy. There is only one outcome. And that's destruction and death. But our God is also love. Psalm 136 is a beautiful psalm. Go read it. It's great. The phrase, his mercy endures forever, is written in that one psalm 26 times. The author basically just reviews his life and the history of his nation. And after every sentence says, but your mercy endures forever. 
We need to remember that when we're feeling guilty, when we've sinned, when we, we've sinned, but we don't want to go back to youth group or to church because we know we're sinners and we blew it again. We don't want to see everybody and feel guilty. We need to remember, I've blown it, but your mercy endures forever. I can't feel like I can go on, but your mercy endures forever. God, I don't know how to get back. Your mercy endures forever. That is our God. His mercy endures. Say that. All right. That was with zero conviction. Guys, his mercy endures forever. That is incredible. That is life-altering. That is eternity-changing. His mercy endures. I'm going to give you another chance. All right, you all ready? His mercy endures forever. His mercy endures forever. I hope you can remember that. That will change your darkest days. John 3.16, for God so loved you and me that he gave his only begotten son that if only we'll believe in him, we'll have eternal life. First John 4, 9 through 10, I want to actually read this. This is so beautiful. In this is the love of God. Definition, love of God, definition. Was manifested towards us that God has sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins, as in he took our place. He died for us. Forgive us of our sins. He is a forgiving God, and he is readily waiting to forgive us when we blow it. He is the dad who is open-armed, waiting for us to crawl up in his lap and go, Dad, I'm sorry. And he's going to be like, I got you. And he's going to wash us clean. He's going to cast our sins as far as the east is from the west. And he's going to give us a fresh start every time because that's the God that we serve. All right, next point is this. Our forgiveness is not based on us, but completely on who he is and what he's done. Next one, as we forgive those who sin against us, that is a big as. That is a huge as. That is a big fat as. <laughs> Do you all even understand what I'm talking about? Follow me. Because it is measuring the forgiveness. Okay, it was funny. Move on. That word, that little two-letter word, is measuring the forgiveness that we will receive against the forgiveness that we give. Are y'all following me? Because that is big. Y'all, sin is the greatest separator. It separates us from God and it separates us from each other. Forgive me of my sin as I forgive those who sin against me. Because y'all, you've been hurt and people have offended you. And guess what, guys? You have hurt and you have offended. I have hurt and I have offended. If I haven't hurt or offended you lately, you don't know me well enough. This is, it'll happen if you're around me long enough. I promise. At the cross, Jesus defeated sin. He defeated death. 
And through his death on the cross and through that defeat gives us life and forgiveness and holiness and restoration and hope and a future. And he did all of that through the key, through the tool of forgiveness. And then turns around and hands this cosmic divine tool into our hands and says, wield it. This will change everything. This is the ultimate win because forgiveness breaks chains. It moves through impossible barriers. It levels mountains. It changes lives because it's freedom. It's the freedom that God gave. He hands it to us and expects us to use it. That's right. I didn't say he wants us. He expects us to use it. Here's something uncomfortable. Oh. Jesus tells this crazy story about a man who was forgiven a huge debt, could never repay it. He wept and pleaded, and the king said, I'll do it. I forgive you. Rejoicing and excited, he runs outside. I don't know, maybe he wanted to like, I don't know, buy a pizza or something like that. But he finds a servant that owed him a very small amount of money. And he grabs the servant and says, pay me, come on. I've waited long enough. Pay me the money you owe me. And the servant's like, I can't. And so he beats the servant that owes him a small amount of money. The king overhears it drags the guy back in and says, how could you not forgive when I forgave you a huge debt? And then the king orders him to be thrown into the air. Let's just throw it up there. I got the final verse here. It says this. So my heavenly father will also do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother's trespasses, throws him in prison and has him tortured. Matthew 6, 14 through 15. This is after Matthew's version of the Lord's Prayer says this. It's scary. It's uncomfortable. I didn't even want to say it because it's so like, uh, but it says this. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your sins, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sin, neither will your Father forgive your sin. How about you? But that terrifies me. Absolutely terrifies me. I'll tell you what one of the hardest parts about forgiveness is. is because we're pretty sure that what somebody else did to us was way worse than anything that we've done. Now I'm talking to some specific people in here because there's somebody in here that's going, yeah, okay, I need God to forgive me from lying, but you don't understand, Dom. I was abused growing up. How can I forgive that? I've never abused anybody. Look at the difference here. And Jesus expects me to forgive that? Jesus is going to hold my forgiveness over my head based on whether I can do this? Now, you need to understand something. I know, I know this hurts. I know this is, this is stabbing. But please follow me because this will change things. See, God doesn't see a difference in sin. Sin here, here, here is all a rejection. And I know that's still hard to wrap our minds around because, yes, in our minds, something can be huge versus something small. But follow me. Jesus saved and offers forgiveness from hell for every sin. Keep following me. Big or small, we are saved from hell. And we are in turn given heaven for sins, great or small, that he forgives. So it evens the playing field. You know what? They may have done more damage to you than you've done. 
but before God, you personally were saved from hell and given heaven. So our eyes need to stop being on the person and what they've done wrong against us. And we need to get our eyes on the God that saved us and gave us every good thing. That is the shift that it takes to forgive some of those things that are impossible to forgive without God. Is we take our eyes off of them and we put our eyes on him. That's the shift. That's how we can do the impossible and forgive that kind of pain. Forgiveness is not based on the sin, big or small. It's based on our obedience. In your mind, you can look them in the eyes and say, I'm not forgiving you because you deserve it. I'm forgiving you because I'm being obedient to my king. Side note, forgiveness does not mean that you have to trust. And it doesn't mean that you are excusing actions because actions have consequences. But it does mean that you release them from believing that you're owed something from them. You're releasing them into God's hands and you're releasing yourself into God's hands. Does that make sense? So the next point is this. Do not lead us into temptation but deliver us from the evil one. Uh, they, they used to get me a little stuck. Um, do not lead us into temptation. Like, are we saying like, God, you might lead us into temptation. Um, just to clear, clarify it, James 1.13 says, God does not tempt. This is a prayer of saying, God, lead me out of temptation. Help me dodge it, God. Get me around it. And when I'm in it, bail me out. This is a heartfelt cry of saying, God, I love you so much. Not only do I not want to sin against you, I don't even want to be tempted to sin against you. I want, I want only you. I want to be holy and right with you. And guys, it clears things up. Don't deliver us from evil. Deliver us from the evil one. We have an enemy, not a competitor. This isn't like the Falcons. This is somebody that is out to hurt you and damage you and wants to bring you down. This is someone who hates you, who hates everything that you are because you are God's. This is a real enemy. Ephesians 2, 1 through 2 says that he is the prince of the power of the air. 1 Peter 5, 8 says he is a lion roaming around seeking who he can devour. He wants to devour you. John 10, 10 says that he is the thief and he's come to do three things, to steal, to kill, and to destroy, and you're on his list. He wants with every breath in his being because he hates, he vehemently hates God. And he wants to hurt God as much as he can, and God, he knows that God loves you, and he wants to destroy you. And you know what he'll do? He'll feed you candy until you self-destruct, if necessary. You won't even feel someone beating on you. You'll just think things are going great and you're getting away with whatever it is until you self-destruct yourself because we have an enemy. Lead us out of temptation and deliver us from the evil one. The only power that Satan has is lies and counterfeits. Satan can't create anything, but he can take God's love and he can create lust because he can't create anything. He can only counterfeit it. He can take hard work and make it greed. 
Satan wants to lie to you, and he has lots of demons. Guess what? Satan's not omniscient, he's not omnipotent, and he's not omnipresent. He can't be everywhere all the time, but he's got a lot of demons, and they're whispering lies. And that, that's all he has, is he has lies, and he's going to try to convince you into the next thing, into sacrificing your holiness, into self-destructing. But there's good news, and it's this. James 4, 7, great verse. Hang on to this. Memorize this one. It's going to save you. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. That is awesome. First Corinthians says this, 10, 13, another great verse. No temptation is overtaking you except such as is common to man, but God is faithful. Who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able, but with the temptation will also make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Sometimes that may mean that you have to have the wisdom not to get into the backseat of the car. But when you find yourself in a place that you are strongly tempted, God promises a way of escape. It may not be comfortable, but he promises that it'll be there. Lead us out of temptation and deliver us from evil. Final point. This is a heartfelt prayer to be pure of sin because of love for our Father. Tonight in e-groups, you're going to be given a small half page of paper. And on there is a prayer. It's got blanks in it. And it is a prayer that's going to stab you if you have any sort of unforgiveness, any sort of bitterness. And I challenge you to each Spend a few minutes with the Lord and pray through this prayer. And there's room for a name for you to insert. There's room for you to list. You can do it just between you and God, the things that they did to you. You can list on it the things that were said to you. And then the prayer turns. Oh, it's so uncomfortable. And actually prays that God will break the bondage of things that you thought about them in response and things that you said about them in response. Then it goes a step further and prays that God would bless that person and draw them into salvation. It's so hurtful. Like, (laughs) you don't want to do that because they owe you something. One of the strongest temptations you'll face is not forgiving. And I want to create an opportunity tonight for you to be set free. Because you got to stop drinking poison hoping the other person's going to die. You've got to surrender that bitterness and that forgiveness so you can be free. I want that for you. I want that for me. I did it today. I was like, I can't ask them to do something I'm not doing. Heavenly Father, Dad, I pray that you'll have your will tonight. you have your will on me. You'll have your will in every heart in this room. Lord, provide for our needs. Jesus, protect us from sin. Bail us out. Thank you for your forgiveness. Give us the strength to forgive others. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.